Okay, guys, before we get into the episode with Craig Steele talking about Arizona elk and antelope, I want to remind you that GoHunt.com Insider is the title sponsor of this podcast, and they are the best resource to figure out all these draw odds, whether it be Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Wyoming, uh, Colorado, any of these western states, if you want the most accurate draw odds, if you become a member of the Go Hunt Insider, you're going to have full access to all the different states and you're going to be able to get harvest statistics, strategy articles on how to apply, and most importantly, the, the most accurate draw odds on the market today. All you got to do is use the J. Scott promo code when you sign up and you're automatically going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. And you can use that to buy anything uh, that you want in the gear shop or apply it to anything you want in the gear shop. So make sure to check them out. Use the J. Scott promo code. I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Remind you guys to go to kuyu.com to get all of the best ultralight gear. I want to thank Jason Hairston and, and Kuyu for their sponsorship. Also, phonescope.com. Phonescope makes the best digiscoping adapter to adapt any phone to any optic, whether it be a binocular or spotting scope. And the latest thing is to be able to adapt a phone to uh, a rifle scope. Go to phonescope.com to check it out. Use the J. Scott promo, J. Scott 16, excuse me, J. Scott 16 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount there at phonescope.com. Also, the optics authority, the outdoorsman's, Cody Nelson and his crew, if you want to talk to them about any sort of optics, whether it be rifle scopes, spotting scopes, binoculars, uh, backpacks, tripods, whatever it may be, if you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there at the Outdoorsman's. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Let's get right to this episode. Don't forget, you turkeys. The deadline for the Arizona elk and antelope applications is Tuesday, February 13th. You better get it done. Don't wait to the last second. Today is the 12th and you're getting close to the deadline. So do not forget. Let's get right to this episode with Craig Steele. Guys, if you want to send me a, any questions or comments, you can do so on my email, jscottoutdoors at gmail.com or through Instagram. You can send me a direct message at jscottoutdoors. Let's get right to this episode. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I have had a search party. I have been calling. I've been emailing. I've been texting, looking for Craig Steele. And I finally found him. He has been predator hunting literally every day for the last, I don't know how long, shooting coyotes and foxes and calling in mountain lions and bobcats and everything in the Arizona desert. Craig, my friend, everybody keeps wanting to know when Craig Steele is going to be on the podcast and I finally corralled you here for 45 minutes. How you doing? Good. I'm sure that's a lot less than everybody. But I've had so many audience. requests saying, where is Steele? He's always on the podcast, and he hasn't been on in forever. It's probably my mom and or somebody. Yeah, it's all your relatives. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what are you doing, man? Every time, every single time I send you a text, and it, I, even when I get up way early in the morning and I think, oh, I'm going to catch Steele you know, off his game, and I'm like, wake up, you sucker. And you're like, man, dude, I've been driving for an hour. I'm going to pick up a hunter. We're going to hunt coyotes, and we, you know, we killed seven million coyotes in the last three days, and da 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 da. Yeah, man, I always well, hunting, man. I'm not doing any of the shooting myself, but um, just been busy with doing predator hunts. I kind of took most of January off from doing any guiding and and uh try to uh just do some archery deer hunting and unfortunately and fortunately it rained a little bit and kind of put my my plans out of order so um decided to do some more predator hunting book some more hunts and yeah just been doing a lot of it guided people from ohio that was an experience because there were they were Amish, ended up being great people. To that's me. That's real. People from returning clients from California, and anyway, it's it's been awesome. My last this last week, I hunted seven out of eight days, and uh, it was it's been warm, as you know, you know, ten to fifteen degrees above normal, um, pretty dry. And uh, that that made for some interesting calling conditions, but um, it worked out all right. Seven days, I think we called in 41 coyotes, 20 fox, uh, two bobcat, and a mountain lion. So that one. You know, one thing I follow the predator exclusive. Uh, Predator Exclusives Instagram page, and one thing I do like seeing is I see that you get quite a bit of return clientele, and I'm I'm starting to recognize faces from the past, uh, from past posts, and you know guys that have hunted with you before. Um, you know, not being a predator hunter myself, and not really having done it very much at all. Um, that that predator hunting crowd, it's it's it has its own niche, does it not? I mean, there's a yeah. whole crowd of guys that yeah, they like to hunt other things, but isn't there a whole crowd of guys that I mean, they are kind of exclusive predator hunters. That's what they like to do. Yeah, I would I would say that there's there's a lot of guys that don't hunt anything else. They just hunt predators, or you know. Um, are learning and trying to maybe they don't they don't want to the big game hunting is kind of boring to them um and so it, it's definitely you have your crossover crowd you know like me um i'm kind of from one extreme to another but um it's it's definitely a, a niche market or niche industry or niche whatever you want to call it demographic um and it's it's when you do it and it's good, it is super, super addicting. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't know what else is, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's African and, you know, other dangerous game that's a rush, but I don't know what else besides maybe, you know, having a big 
bull elk comes screaming in on top of you. How about calling which, in a big old tom turkey there, Chris? Deal. Uh, gobble, gobble. Can you, can you see any relation there? <laughs> gobble, gobble. Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's a lot of guys that predator hunt that like turkey hunting. Um, I'm just not one of those. Just And it's not because, I mean, I, I'm sure I would enjoy it, but at some point in time, I got to, I got to stop hunting, you know. I mean, I got a, I got a family and other things that I got to deal with. But I, I think I would love the aspects of a column, but I don't like to do anything unless I think I can be damn good at it. Um, that's what I have found out with myself over the years. Um, and you know, so if I suck at something right away or don't have the time and energy to do it, then. I tend to shy away from it, and that's how I am with turkey hunting. I think I drew a Unit 9 Arizona tag 15 years ago, and I know there's limited birds in 9, but it was more of a shed hunting turkey hunt. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, I get a lot of guys that talk about, you know, or a handful of guys that hunt with me that talk about your girls hunt that, you know, like the turkey hunting aspect and the predator hunting. It's it's very it's very the call in stuff, right? I mean yeah. that's well, that was one of the things I was gonna coming ask, in, yeah. you know. Yeah. That it, was one it, of the things I was totally gonna different. ask you is like is is your allure or is your love for hunting predators, is it the calling aspect of it? Is is that the main thing that draws you to the sport? It's, yeah, man, it's the calling aspect of it. Um, it's, it, you know, it really is. It's, it's getting something to respond to you, fooling something, whether it be with electronic or hand calls, I'm not prejudiced. Um, and, you know, the, I don't know how many times I hear, you know, a lot of the guys that come hunt with me, um, or with us, they live, you know, Midwest, back East. They don't have the country we have. Um, and they're hunting really pressured areas, areas that, you know, they may, and they have limited areas to hunt. So they, you know, they're always like, they may call in two coyotes in two years, and it's usually at night um, versus they come out here in a three-day trip, they call in, you know, 10 to, 20 something coyotes you know and um but still it's hard out here and I, I was telling you know one group that i had this week that we're actually really really spoiled and we don't even recognize it just because of the amount of public open land that we can hunt and go to and we can go from one area to the next if things aren't going well and it's it's just it's it's amazing how spoiled we are and we don't even recognize it um and but that getting back to the calling aspect of i i love that like it always intrigues me to get something to to come to a call to respond to you it's one thing to stalk i mean because that's obviously uh i think it's more the natural way for us um it's it takes a unique uh i don't know what it is to to learn to 
to call into the different situations. And it's not an exact science, um, but it, 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 I don't know what it is. It's, it, it's, it's awesome when it, when it works out and when it happens. It sucks when it doesn't. Um, and you can look like a fool a lot. You know, it's really bad, you know, when you're a professional predator hunting guide, you know, you call in two coyotes in the entire day. Um, that's not usually the norm, but it happens, you know, and that leaves you really humbled at the end of the day and searching for answers. But it, it is that the calling aspect of it is, is unreal. It's, I don't know, as you can tell, I love, I love it. I want to go call wolves. I hear a lot about guys saying that they're really hard to call, and then you see some guys that, you know, on Instagram or whatnot that that call them in. I, I think that would be, you know, um, one of the ultimate predators to to call in and to hunt. Okay, let me ask you a question about that. Yep. Well, let me frame this up. There's a lot more to calling coyotes than just going out with an electronic call or a hand call and making some noises and shooting a coyote. Yeah, as, there, as I know, as I know from talking to you over the years, and like with anything, whether it's you know fly fishing down a river or you know elk hunting or you know bighorn sheep hunting, there's all sorts of little intricate aspects of coyote hunting, as well as fox hunting, as well as, you know, bobcat hunting, and they're all different, and, and it all revolves around the animal's behavior. My question would be, if uh, you know, in regards to wolves, how much of it do you think you could take your knowledge of coyotes? Because, I mean, you consider yourself, I know I've talked to you before, I mean, you consider yourself a darn good coyote hunter, and you study coyotes, you've studied them a long time, you've studied their behavior, you've done a lot of trial and error, you know what time of year and seasons, what they're thinking, and you try and know what they're thinking. How much success do you think you could take, which would overlap from hunting coyotes into hunting wolves, and how much intrigue is there to you to want to go try it just to see if there is the similarities. I think one of the things that I value or I put value on the most as far as calling any animal, but specifically calling, since we're talking about coyotes and wolves or predators, I think knowing the country, knowing the lay of the land and what lives in there, is probably the number one factor. And then number two is knowing the animal's behavior as far as, you know, that species, knowing, you know, knowing them as well as we can possibly know them as humans. Um, so I think, I think I would, I think the behavior, I think there's a lot of similar behaviors, I th you know, and then this, I could be totally speaking out of context here and somebody could set me straight, but I think wolves are more territorial or for the most part, at least if they're packed up um, versus a nomad or a transient wolf, I think they're more territorial 
than what coyotes are um, on average. Um, but I think the factor would be is I would have to look at going with somebody, either a guide or somebody that knew the country because there would be a huge learning curve in those areas because I just don't know the country. You know, part of the reason why, you know, we're so good and I, I do so well where I'm at is because I just, I know the country, you know, and I know, you know, uh, areas that I've called, seen coyotes, you know, areas that have gotten rain that have more deer in it, more antelope in it, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I just knowing the country is, I just think it's so overlooked. Everybody wants, everybody that watches just like that mountain lion video that I posted up, the first thing everybody goes to goes to is what sound did you use? What sound, what call? And I'm like, it doesn't matter what sound and what call you use. If there's not a predator there or if you bump the animal while you were going into the stand, you're not going to call them in. And so those, like, those have to be, those, like, I mean, they're so huge. And I, that's the number one mistake that I see guys making is they go, all, they go straight to sound. And, and it, don't get me wrong, you know as well as I do, realistic sound, knowing when to play them, just like knowing when to blow a, you know, the right cow call um, is critical. And it needs to be realistic, you know, for, for many coyotes. The more realistic, the better off you can get. That's why an electronic call that has, you know, great digital recorded sounds is just hard to beat. Um, the, you, you have to know the country and how to move within the country and then know the species or the animal's behaviors. Not necessarily, you don't know every individual animal, you know, but as a whole, you know, um, and as much as you possibly can. So I... I think I think there would be a huge learning curve for me, um, and and I, it would definitely speed the process up if if I had somebody. And I probably, to be honest with you, I know myself, and I know my you know my financial level. I know my time commitments with my family. You know, I, I, it's not something right now that I would be able to do. You know, I would definitely have to hire somebody to to show me around or have somebody that's you know, willing to take take me around to, you know, to bridge that gap to a certain extent. And I don't know if I have the time to dedicate to, you know, going to Idaho or wherever else I want to go to and just and do it right. You know, going back to what I said earlier, I say I want to go hunt wolves, but to do it right, you know, like, uh, and it's it's got to be, you know, that would have to be a couple weeks a year and, really planning it and thinking about it and you know I wouldn't want to waste any time that's for certain so I mean it'd be a, it'd be a challenge so anybody's out there a wolf guide or or uh, knows wolf country or something like that uh, maybe in the future we can hook up so anyway if you, are you, if you had to just hunt one one predator, if, if, if I said you, you, you can predator hunt from now on, but you can only hunt one, which would you choose and why? Coyote. With why no hesitation? Coyote. 
yeah. out of out of lion, bobcat, fox, and people get it all wrong. And just in my opinion, they they assume because people kill more coyotes. Well, there's just a ton of freaking coyotes um, that they're the you know much easier species to call in their base, you know, their own coyote calling. But, you know, if I had to rank them, um, fox is the easiest to call in. If it's there, they're super territorial. Um, if you call them in their right country, where they live, where there is not very many coyotes because they'll respond, um, then, you know, uh, basically, you know, their their main predator against them is, is, is the lion. The lion will eat them and kill them or kill them and eat them. Um, and then, you know, I think, and I, and I'm, there's guys out there that I'm sure that have called in more lions than me, but, uh, I, th I think calling in a lion versus calling in a bobcat, they're very, very similar. Um, they act like a cat. I mean, they just, you know, they they just, they want to kill. Don't get me wrong. They're, they're awesome species. They're, they're freaking killers. Um, but a coyote, you know, coyote are just way more wary. Yeah, they're just, especially one that's been around the block, you know, or a big, you know, like a pair or, you know, uh, uh, you know, three or four coyotes that live in a family group in a territory, you know, five, six, you know, that, that have hunted and lived there all their lives and they're four or five years old. Um, man, there's something about especially when they're all furred up and you know they come in ready to freaking kick ass and you know eat or kill anything that you know whether it be a coyote they're looking to try to kill or or you know a rabbit or a deer that they think's in the country right there is just it's something about it and you know it's they're they're extremely wary um at times if you get them in the right situation, though, where they're comfortable, you know, they they're very they can be very aggressive, um, but they have to be comfortable. You know, um, I think about this crap a lot, just like calling in bull elk. You know, as well as I do, that you know, there's sometimes you you chase and chase and chase a bull, but then he goes and beds down, and you slip in there a hundred yards. And you wake him up from his nap, and he's pissed off because that cow's not supposed to be over there, you know. And you, here you tried to set up on him all morning, and he wouldn't. He just kept going away from you because he's doing what he's doing, and he's just telling you to, you know, he's going this way. But then at a certain time period, in a certain mood, when you're in his comfort zone, and he thinks you sh shouldn't be over there, and he hears that, he responds. Not every time, but it, it's a lot like that, you know, with coyotes. Like, there are certain times they, they just won't, they're not responding. They're going somewhere else, you know. I think a number of times they have we something else struggle. on their mind. Yeah, they have something. They, they're living 24-7, 365 out there in a freaking war zone. You know what I mean? They have, we go out there. We go out there for a few hours at a time and act like, oh, man, they're just, they're, they're too smart or they're call shy. And, yeah, they're, 
they're an intelligent animal, you know, but they're not smarter than, you know, a person. You know, they just, they live out there. They have to, you know, they've got a number of different things going on from, from, you know, their own personalities to social structures within, you know, their family group or the family groups around them or the different, you know, you know, they got a, a kill over here or, you know, they got in a fight last night with this, you know, group. It, I mean, there's so many different factors that that go on out there that we're not aware of. And, you know, so I always try to keep it simple when I'm calling coyotes too. Um, and I've learned a lot from reading and listening um, and being humble about it. And I still get humbled all the time. Um, I listen to people's stories all the time. Um, and one of the things um, that, I've, that I've learned is the more you open your ears and shut your mouth, the more you'll learn. Um, and one of the guys, uh, Rich Cronk down in Phoenix, he wrote, or not Rich Cronk, sorry, uh, can't even think of his name now. Rich Cronk was a guy that made calls. Um, anyway, this guy out of Phoenix, he wrote an article called Why They Come in Predator uh, Extreme Magazine. He had like 11 things, and he's way more intelligent than I am um, of why coyotes come to the call. And, you know, he had a video out where he'd go around the edges of Scottsdale and call on these coyotes and film them multiple times. And, yeah, you know, there's three reasons why I narrow it down to why, what I'm trying to play off when I'm calling in a coyote. First off is obviously – food, um, territory, and curiosity. Those are the three things that I'm trying to hit on. I try to keep it simple because, um, you know, like those 11 things that he talked about, you know, I mean, there's so many different things going on. And you could stay on a stand or a setup for hours, and you may not call that group of coyotes in until they show up, you know, at, you know, an hour and 59 minutes into the stand. But you can't do that all day. You know, I mean, it's just not, that's not how you get numbers of coyotes to the call. Um, but, you know, so I try to key in on those three factors. And if I, I think those three factors right there, those three reasons of why they respond are, are going to get me the most coyotes and the coyotes quickest. Um, and, and, the, the how I make sense of it at all. Otherwise, you'll you'll mind screw yourself into all the different situations as you know with the 500 sounds on your Fox Pro, and then you'll <laughs> go 0 for 30 on the day. So anyway, that's my round. One of these days, time. I'm going to get up there and go with you. Um, I know a lot of people that have, and and uh, I love following your stuff online. And congrats on calling in that lion. Um, and then you let it go, which I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> look and just shake their head. Um, but one of these days I'm going to get up there and do that with you. Uh, I want to pick your, I want to shift gears here, uh, unless you have any follow-up stuff on that, but I want to shift gears here and talk about tomorrow is the deadline for Arizona Game and Fish uh, for the elk and antelope applications and wanted to get your take on what you see. You guys had a great year last year. Uh, you, you're a constant producer, and you and lead you and your guys, uh, you know, all, everybody that works for you and your partner, Lee, you guys do a great job, but wanted to get your take 
on the upcoming year, um, how it will be. Let's talk a little Unit 10. Um, any other units you want to talk about and just uh, kind of go over your thoughts um, for those that have waited like myself here to the last day, tomorrow's the last day, but you know, the day before the last day yeah. to apply. What are you thinking? What are you seeing out there? Um, so obviously the, the elephant in the room that's not in the room is the drought situation. Um, that's what, you know, we've talked to many people who either aren't applying or um, as far as non-residents that have a bunch of points or, or are applying with point guard, um, which they should. Um, if I've waited 15 to 20 years, uh, you know, that's, that's what I've recommended to guys, um, you know, to do one or the other. Um, it's all personal decision um, and strategy that goes in behind it. But so as far as talking about, you know, Unit 9, 10, 18A, 18B, 17A, 7, and 8, um, that's kind of where we're more familiar with those units and kind of our home base, kind of Williams, the Sligman type country. Um, it was dry. Obviously, we haven't had much rain since the end of the monsoon. We didn't have any rain in October, November, or December. Um, had a really good storm that hit 18A, 10, um, and floated up through the strip. You know I follow that stuff. Um, and it hit Unit 9 and some other parts in the state, but I don't think it hit it as well. I know, you know, a lot of Unit 10 got over an inch of rain in that, um, and 18A got some good rain from it, filled, filled some tanks. Um, part of the reason why my deer plans got screwed up, um, where we're at, and you know this probably as good as anybody, is I like to go back to the charts, um, all the data that I've kept. Um, from from the state drought monitor, um, and looking at it, the two years that we are most likely, the reason why we're talking about this, I guess, and is for antler growth purposes, the rain we have, precipitation, rain, snowfall that we have in Arizona um, over these from January basically until April is critical um, for antler growth development. And so um, looking at these 2006 and and I can you know give them to you and you can post them or whatever, Jay. Um, 2006 and 2007 are the two years that are most like this year. Um, are you there? Yeah. So what about O two and ninety six? O two was drier. Okay. Um but you know as well as I do, O two was 
and I don't have data from 96 other than I know it was bad. Um, so 06 and 2007 um, are the years that were most like this year. I, in 06, I had a tag in 18A, um, in 18B, and 17A. And in 07, I hunted in Unit 7. This is before I was guiding full-time. Um, I had a tag in 7 West. Or no, sorry, I didn't draw back-to-back. -back. I've never done that. My dad had a tag in 7 West. He killed a little six-point on the last day. Um, where were you at those two years, Jay? You remember? 06? Yeah. 06, I was in Unit 9 with Dar. Um, the last time he had his tag in 07, I was I was in Unit 9 with Dar in 06. In 07, good question. I was, where was I? I know you were somewhere. I think I was in Unit 10. So... I know there, I was in 23 and 08, and I know I was in Unit 10 and 05. So I guess just to be clear, when you say it was like 06, yes. that means leading into the antler growth of 06 or, yeah. or leading into the antler growth of 07? No, leading into the antler growth of 06 and leading into the antler growth of 07. So from basically what I have is the data from... November 1st, 2005 to January 31st of 2006. November 1st of 2006 to January 31st of 2007. And then basically the same time period for this year. Um, and that's, those are the two units. Um, I have, well, if you, if you, know, you say it like that, though, I kind of think that we're not that, that, that were dry, but if I don't remember 06. I remember 06 and 09 being a rough antler growth year. Dark killed that 370 bull, and it was like, you know, like Jimmy Mullins even says to this day, he's like, man, that was an unbelievable bull for that year. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think remember it could antler be, growth. Yeah. I think it could be as bad as, I mean, I don't know if it can be. 2002 was just, you know as well as I do. It was, it, I mean, it, it was getting there. I can tell you, though, that, you know, and this is the truth, and looking at the data, that um, the, uh, the place that has had the most rain in the last 12 months in the state of Arizona has been the Walpi Indian Reservation and the uh, western side of Unit 10. Okay, so um, that tells me that tells me something there. I remember 07, I was in 23 South. I was with Clay Goldman in 23 South. Took me a while to to, to go through the years, but um, okay. So from what I hear you saying is it's dry. Yes, it's bad, but it's not. Possibly, it's not horrible. It it's Unit 10 out of moisture. Uh, the wall of high end, the western edge of Unit 10, has gotten more moisture than a lot of the rest of the state. Yeah. And so in your general opinion, you think 
I mean, we're getting a little storm I right think now. Average, I don't know if it's, you think I an think average? If we, I think, I'm thinking, if if we can get, so we got a little storm coming in right now. It, I've been watching the radar. It's, it hasn't done a whole lot, um, nothing of any significance. Um, but it's supposed to, again, Thursday and Friday. We'll see what that does. And then if we can get a couple, two or three storms timed out over the next few months, I think we can be average. And I'm talking Unit 10. Um, I, right. I talked to Unit 9 uh, wildlife officer just a little bit ago, and they're still hauling water to Unit 9. It didn't get – it got snow, which everybody's – snow's great, yeah, because it absorbs, but they didn't get any catch water. And I can tell you, Unit 10 got some dang catch water. Um, so did eighteen a um, and uh, so did parts of seventeen um, and that's i mean I had a few tanks in eighteen a just completely fill up on me with that storm in january um not that you know eighteen a has its own freaking dynamics with subdivisions and whatnot it doesn't close, come close to unit ten um but the browse let's, let's talk about Go ahead. Go ahead. The browse speed in 10 looks okay? The browse speed looks pretty pretty good, um, you know, for the most part. It is it's just dry. I think we've got, we've got more catch water, you know, which that plays in the – you know, as well as I do, there's a lot that goes into this. I don't – I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not going to be last year. It's not going to be – I mean, nothing touches 05. Um, it's, it's, it's definitely going to be a more – you know, conservative, in my opinion, conservative, you know, average, if we don't get the rains over the next few months, it could be, it could be bulls losing, you know, some bulls losing 30, 40 inches. You okay, know? let me ask you this um, question. Let me, let me, let me jump in here. If we get late February, get a storm rolling in March, get a storm rolling in April, you don't want to tag. May's always dry, and June's always dry, and then but at the end of June, you know, monsoons usually start July fourth. Let's say that man, we get a storm like late June, like you know, just to finish them off. There, you're going to yeah. want to tag, right? Yeah, I I put in one choice. I put in, and I know I'm an arch. I can be an archery guy, but I put in unit or unit ten early rifle bull. Just it's more of my schedule thing. Um, I'm getting close okay. to uh, enough points to be in the max point pool for archery, so I figured, you know what, if I get a tag, you know, and I did point guard my points, um, but I put in the unit ten one choice um, personally. I and this may or hope you know some guys may already put in, but you know after the conversation I had with the unit nine wildlife guy. Um, uh, uh, Nate and, you know, them hauling water up there and how droughty 9 can get and what I know of what's going on in Unit 10 and some of the Western and looking at the where the rain hit, um, that's where I'd want to tag if it was me. You know what I mean? Okay. But on the same token, I've, I've told other guys, like, man, it can be bad too. So if you're – the point guard is funny because it's just – it's new. It's only been around for a couple of years. It's, it's like an insurance policy, but – you know, yeah, but you can only some, use it once. Though it's like in, I have 15 points as a resident in Arizona, and it's like, 
well, geez, I put in and used the point guard, but I can only use it one time when I know when I know that it you know it's probably going to be average at best. Why wouldn't I wait till next year or the year after when all of a sudden you, you think get, points you know, are going to creep? I can tell you, there's a lot of guys that are holding their points. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think points going to creep, but still. I don't want to draw a tag in a year when the antlers suck and they're not bugling. Like I, I've I been can, through I the can, bad years, and I, I had people at the I show asking me, and I'm like, "Listen, like I've been, I was guy, I was around in '96, I was around in '02. Like yeah. I remember those distinctly. Um, and now that you mention it, in '07, when everybody else was freaking complaining to me, I remember I was in 23 South with Clay, and we had a pretty darn good hunt. But yeah. I think anywhere else, I, if I remember right that year, I remember where I was and people were whining and complaining that 07 was rough. And so it's it, can like, be, it can be bad. I mean, it can, yeah. be, I mean, it can be bad for sure. I Honestly, I, my personal opinion is the rut's going to be – I mean, there's, I think there's a lot that goes into it as far as the rut. But when I, when I see the rain seasons, I see – this is just my personal opinion. I see – Basically, and I know it all adds up, and there's so many different factors into it that w this is not science at all, a complete fact or anything. But I see, I always look at January to April for the antler growth, or mm -hmm. you know, maybe even into December too. In '05, we didn't get a ton of snow when it was bomber. What we mm -hmm. got was a ton of freaking rain, um, mm -hmm. and it just, it was just. Storm after storm after storm after storm. And 05 was, in my mind, the last best year we've had. Like, it, it, we, was, haven't seen, it was, we haven't seen we haven't an 05, in my opinion, in a long time. We also had some age, too, on some of our elk then, too. Um, well, but, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about that for just a second. Let's, let's well, we can talk about it. Let, let me shift gears for just a second. Okay, we've talked about the moisture. We've talked about, you know, we can go around and around and around. I want to set the record straight a little bit on a few things, and I'm oh. probably catching you a little bit off guard, but um, I want to talk about Unit 10. I am excited mm -hmm. that Unit 10 has gone back to 100 archery bull elk tags. I, in my yes. opinion, think that the Game and Fish did not do any favors for Unit 10 for the trophy quality when for a year or two, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it slid up to 200 tags, archery tags, and the early rifle hunt went from, I don't know if it was 25, maybe up to 40, and then if I believe it was at 100 early rifle tags mm -hmm. for a year or two. It could have been just one year. It was a um, yeah. And then the late rifle tag, you know, jumped way up, and granted, they thought they had too many elk in Unit 10, and obviously the guys in Unit 10 if they're listening, like they're like, Jay's an idiot. We did have too many elk. But in my mind, it severely hurt the trophy quality in Unit 10. And the Unit 10 that, you know, we, we, we loved in 01, we loved in 03, and we loved in 05, like big bulls, lots of big bulls around. Like we haven't seen that in a while. But the trend of drop, dropping it back to 100 last year, I applauded. I was excited to see it at, you know, 100 this year. I was excited to see the early rifle tags, I believe, at 40. Um, 
which I wish it would go to 20. Um, but I think it's a step in the right direction. You guide in the unit every year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it was to to have trophy quality, you know, as far as, you know, 350-plus bulls, mature bulls, in which, I, I mean, it had to happen, you know, one way or another. On one hand, as an outfitter and guide, it decreases your number of possible hunters. But on the other hand, whether you get a tag or your hunters show up, you know, it. You know, it wasn't the unit ten of of old. You know, and yeah, sure, some big bulls get killed here and there. You know, a lot of the biggest bulls get killed by local DIY guys that that you know spend forty five days up there and you know can can get after it and you know have help or you know a select few obviously of guys that guide hunters. Um, but, you know, the majority of the bulls being taken aren't big bulls. You know, they're just they're just bulls um, over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. So the drop is, I mean, it's going to improve the trophy quality because the bull numbers are there, you know, as far as they just need age. You know, they need, they need you need to kill less bulls. And, you know, the way you control the population is by killing the cows, not the bulls. Um and I think just there for a while there, there's the philosophy was, you know, to kill most of the elk um, and, and try and bring the numbers way down um, and, you know, capitalize on the revenue as well. Um, and, you know, it, it hurt the, the age class in there. And that's what it comes down to is, you know, bulls, you know, big old elk, they need age class. You know, they need to be, Seven, eight, nine, ten years old plus years old to 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 get big, you know. So um, I think it's improving. Um, I think it'll you know continue to improve as long as the numbers are held down. It just depends on you know on what the philosophies of the of the game of fish and the wildlife manager and the game department, you know, at the office says, you know. So, um, from what I saw last year, there, there was a there was a little bit of a jump. I saw more big bulls last year than I've than I have, but you know a lot of a lot of it. You know, we had a lot of elk where we hunted and a lot of bulls. But next year there could be a lot more bulls. You know that that are that are well. Hopefully we get some rain so they can at least you know hit the hit the average bar. You know, but yeah. even with the tag numbers cut down, I think if anything else, if if we do get a subpar antler growth year and people hold off and, you know, some guys don't kill because they can't kill a 350, 360, 370 plus bull and they can't find it or whatnot or the ruts lulled out, um, I mean, that's hopefully going to create more holdover for next year. You know, but uh, I anticipate points are going to creep up pretty high. And with that being said, all the information out there and the talk is that Unit 10 is back. I don't think it's freaking back. You know, I think you have a few big bulls that have been taken by damn good hunters that, you know, 
scouted their butt off or hunted, you know, with a good guide and, or got a little bit lucky and, you know, that's what, that's what happened. I think, you know, two, three years, we might be able to say it's back. You know what I mean? Okay, let me ask you a question. Unit 10 is a little different than most units in the state of Arizona because Unit 10 does have some private ground. Obviously, I believe 18A uh, has some private ground and some private ranches, but Unit 10 has several private pieces of property, one of which the biggest is the Big Bokeas or the Big Bow. Yeah, and I think it's like six or seven hundred thousand acres. I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's at least over a half a million. But I thought it was like six hundred thousand. You might know. Uh, you sound close enough to me. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and then there's other the, there's other pieces of property there that are private, in yeah. which exclusive pursuit outfitters, your company, you and your partner Lee. You guys have a couple of those big ranches leased as well. Yes. The interesting thing about Unit 10 is the Bokeas Ranch for years was completely open to the public. Yep. And the public, in, in a lack of better terms, was able to just you know, run all over it and hunt all over it and do literally whatever they wanted. Uh, there, there was, you know, maybe some sign-ins that, you know, when you had to sign in and maybe have a name tag on your truck, but in essence, it was pretty much free reign for the public. Yeah. A few years back, the leasee of the property, uh, from what I understand, that ranch is owned by the Navajo Nation, so it's not actually a reservation or it's, it's owned by the Navajo Nation. So it is still private land but they came in and the Lisi and the Navajo Nation decided that they wanted to start charging a access fee. And I believe the reasoning for that access fee was for the roads to get tore up that they have to regrade, for the water tanks to get shot up, and you know all the different things of having public on private property is things happen, and so they, they wanted to do an access fee, and I believe that access fee has been around for, I'm just going off the top of my head, five or six years, you would know exactly, and then I believe they've raised the fee a little bit as well. Now, it's still, what is it, like 60 or 80 bucks per hunter for the whole season? I, I, just, I just looked at it this morning, and it's uh, 110 for an antler elk pass this year. Okay. So 110 bucks, which gives you access to five or 600,000 acres. Uh, they do have a few areas that are kind of walk-in only type areas, but mm -hmm. for the most part, 110 bucks gets you access for the season. I want to say, and I'm not looking at this, I should have pulled it up, but you know, they also have a deal, I think it's $500 for outfitters in order to guide in there. Yeah, I just uh, looked at it this. I just looked at it this morning, and, it's, and just full disclosure, I have nothing personally to do with the big bow stuff. Um, my partner Lee, he manages the permit process of it, and we're partners in guiding, not in that. So honestly, I don't deal with any of that side, you know, other than hey, you know, 
basically I know find out about it, you know, maybe a little bit before everybody else does, but just like the permit structure, I looked at it this morning, you know, just to look at it. Um, and that was the first, because we just don't talk about it really. Um, anyway, long and short of it, it's it's 110 for the antler elk, and I think it's it's 500 for the guides. I d the pronghorn is like, I think it might be 110 for the pronghorn. Um, I think antlerless elk is like, Seventy or okay. 80. I just pulled it up. It, I just pulled it up. It's it's all antlered elk, one hundred and ten. Antlerless elk, fifty. Antelope, one ten. Deer, eighty. Sheep, eighty. Junior elk and deer, one dollar. Hunter assistance for all hunts except antlerless elk, eighty bucks. Hunter assistance for all antlerless elk hunts, fifty bucks. Prairie dog per hunter and assistance, twenty dollar a day. And guide is five hundred. Yep. And a lot of people so, think that it's a lot of people think that like it's open to the public if you pay the fee. So it's not like you know, as far as I'm aware of, unless things have changed, but I don't think they have. It's not like there's a limited number other than you know, like there's a hundred archery elk techs. A hundred guys could buy those permits, you know. So it's meaning it's open, it's to, open to all 100 of those archery hunters. So yeah, all of them I mean, could get it. It's not like only a certain number, then they shut yeah. it down. Only 50, and then they shut. All hunters that have a bull elk tag have the ability to buy the permit. To buy, which the, then buy allows the them to hunt the whole property. Correct. The whole property. Yep. And about about 70 percent of its private land. There's maybe 25 to 30 percent of its state trust, but the majority of it is is private land that's owned by the Navajo. Um, okay. And then they have, the, they have their rules, you know, um, which are, you know, like you can't fit water, no use trail cameras, um, uh, no more than two guides, professional guides to one client. Um, and those were all, those have been all standing rules since the program opened, which um, was developed by... Um, Craig Shelley and the Lee C, um, and they're, you know, there's a lot of guys that like those, those rules, and if you really look at the rules, it, it really caters to the guy that's going out there on his own, you know, if you look at, if you look at those basic premises of those rules, um, it kind of dissuades the big party hunting and, you know, um, and that such, and, you know, I, I think the reason being there's several ranches that don't like you sitting water or whatnot. The reason being for, like, the water stuff is, you know, that's where most interaction is with, with the cattle. And, you know, or finding out, you know, as, as a society or as a hunting group is that, you know, when leases of private property or owners of private property, you know, run a business on there, um, you know, that's their business and their livelihood, you know, and so, right. you know, we come out there and want free rain and want to go, want to go hunting on their, their property or, you know, whatnot. And, you know, they're trying to run a business and make a living or, you know, 
it's so you know that's why those rules those kind of rules are in place. I know there's several other ranches that have not access like that to the public, but they have other rules, you know, like the double O and other ranches and like eighteen A and seventeen. So yeah, it's I mean that place is a it's a it's an awesome place, you know, to to hunt. Um and then, you know, in Unit 10, you have National Forests. You have, you know, uh, I think there's one other, there's the Babbitts that's open. And then, you know, we have some private ground leased. It's more in the central part of the unit. Um, the, we, we hunt both public and, uh, and private um, in there. Um, you know, the, the biggest difference between our private property and the public is not the size of the bulls. It's just that you, you know, you can relax and, you know, hunt a bull and not have guys crawling on top of you. You know, that, that's the main difference, you know. Um, well, one, one of the interesting things that I wanted to make a point of um, is you have absolutely no say. You yourself, Craig Steele, has Hello, Ranch. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry, I just faded away. Yeah, I'm here. I have absolutely no say. So, in other words, when they come up with fees or schedules or rules, Craig Steele has zero input into that. Yep, and that's how I prefer it. And then Lee Murphy, let me, let me just frame this up here. Lee Murphy is your partner in Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. Yep. Lee, Lee Murphy does not have any input into the rules. He just enforces the rules, meaning is he or is he not the hunting ranch manager as far as he is the one that collects all of the fees from the hunters and deals with the hunters on the Big Bow Ranch? Uh, yeah, he's the one that is in charge. He's kind of like a liaison as far as my understanding. You know, he right. he's the one that works with, you know, the guides and with, you know, the law enforcement and with the leasee and everybody to, you know, kind of make that work. I mean, he, I'm sure he has somewhat of a say, but ultimately, you know, as far as the rules, but I don't think any of those or very many of those rules have changed since he's, you know, been involved. That, that, that was the point I was trying you know, to, I was, I was going to here is that, uh, in my mind, it is very important that we have a guy like Lee Murphy, who is your partner, who is in charge of collecting the fees and trying to be the liaison between the general season hunter and the private land owner and the leasee. Yeah. The leasee and the owner could pick someone that's not a hunter, that's not an outfitter, and that is not hunter-friendly, and things could be a lot different than they are. Would you agree? No, absolutely. I mean, it, at any moment, I mean, it could, you know, things can always change, you know, as far as my understanding, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those deals where with any private property that's out there, you know, the Navajos, you know, they could say, we're going to just shut it completely down, you know, um, as far as my understanding, but I have 
little knowledge. So, I mean, it's, it's very critical to, you know, I've been, I've been hunting the uh, Bokeas. Everybody calls it the big bow, but the Bokeas are the, um, for, I think, 94 was the first time that I hunted on a bull elk hunt in there, and there you know, and uh, some guys have hunted it way more than me, you know, absolutely. Um, but uh, it, it is, is a very critical piece of land um, in Unit 10 and for Arizona hunters, um, but it's also uh, a critical, you know, livestock operation, and, you know, and that's the thing that I've come to realize is that, you know, there's more than just, you know, my side or our side of the hunting community side of, you know, just recreating on, on pieces of land like that because I see it all over in some of these other units that I hunt, whether it be 15, 18, 16, um, you know, a lot of these ranches are being sold off and, you know, subdivided and, you know, or worse than, actual a formal subdivision where there's nice homes they're just being parceled out to you know a, a five thousand dollar parcel and you know someone's throwing a you know a travel trailer or a old single wide and posting up trespassing signs and waving guns at you as you drive by and you know it's it, there's more and more of that so any of these places that are basically untouched or you know left for the most part, natural or are willing to, you know, allow us to recreate on it for a fee. Um, I can remember one way back when when the X-Bar 1 Ranch in 18A charged 100 bucks to go on there um, to hunt elk. And, you know, now I think it's like seven grand to hunt on there. You know, so... I don't know. I, I've, I've kind of come, I've bought permits to hunt deer and whatnot on the big bow. And, um, there's sometimes I haven't even, I haven't even gone and hunted. I just bought it because if I had time, I was going to go hunt over there. But it's unfortunate that sometimes we don't see it from the perspective of a 360 view. Um, and I'm still, you know, learning and, you know, adapting to that. We just only see it from our perspective, you know, and, and, you know, for us as hunters, we kind of, we want it the way it's always been. And, you know, the one thing things are always doing is they're always changing. And I've, I've come to realize that, and you know, it's not always about me or you or, you know, so-and-so. It's, you know, there's a whole 360 picture, you know, that's, that's involved. And, you know, well, so hopefully we can keep it open. We, yeah, that's what I was going to just say. I mean, from my perspective is we need to keep that ranch open and we need to do everything we can as a sportsman community to work with the leasee and work with the, the landowner to keep the ranch open. And when they have, you know, made some rules and, you know, assessed a fee uh, in, the, in the looking at other states, you know, Colorado, Utah, look at, you know, five, 600,000 acre ranch, I mean, that would cost you, you know, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to go hunt on there. So, yes, it, it, it used to be open, completely wide open to the public, and it still is, but it's a fee, 
It's $110. If you have an elk tag, that is still, in my mind, very, very, very cheap compared to what you get in return. So we need to keep yeah. that in perspective. And the, the landowner is not the bad guy. The leasee is not the bad guy. They are, should be our allies and our friends, and we should work with them and not call them every name under the, uh, under the sun. We should be glad and happy that they're willing to work with us as sportsmen. So, you know, I, mean, I, I, mean, I just wanted to make that point. No, no one wants to pay, you know, extra money to hunt or to do. No one wants to pay a fee or access or anything to do anything. But that's not the world we live in. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want to pay a fee to go, you know, to my daughter's basketball game. But they charge me 10 bucks to go watch my daughter play basketball. You know, it's just it's just the world we live in, you know, and, and you know, I and just to kind of reiterate, like, you know, two years ago my dad's like, I ah, uh, I don't wanna blah 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 pay a fee to go hunt it. I'm like, Dad, you're not only applying for it, but I'll pay for your fee. That's just stupid. And <laughs> the reason it's stupid is it's just we don't want it to change and you know and and men, you pay a fee to, on some of these lakes to park your truck and boat or to go get on the water. I mean, it's just, you know, you're going to pay a fee to go recreate on National Forest. And if you don't think it's going to happen, you're kidding yourself. Um, not that, you know, we want it to be, you know, some astronomical rate, but we got to realize that, you know, there's other factors that come into play besides hunting. Hunting is actually, is honestly on especially on, on a piece of public or private, hunting is the lowest of things on the totem pole. And the reason, reason it is, I mean, only 5% of the population hunts. So 95% of the population doesn't care. And the landowner, all it takes is a couple, or leasee, all it takes is a couple bad apples, you know, to, to ruin it or to basically cause there to be restrictions. And, you know, that's, that's just the truth of the matter. And, you know, I don't, personally, you know, I don't want to pay that, but I dang sure will because I think it's, I do think it's a bargain and I value it that much to do it. And, you know, and, and it is what it is. You know, I'd pay, you know, if I, everybody's got a limit. You know, some, some people it may be, you know, 50 bucks. Other people it may be 500 bucks. Another person it may be, you know, $10,000. Everybody has their limits and their value systems of what they're willing to pay to, you know, to go hunt or do whatever they want to do. But the reality of it is, is to me, it's, it's not that much. You know, it, it sucks because nobody wants to pay a fee, but it is what it is, you know. So that's my thoughts on it. I wanted to also talk about the pieces of private land that you guys have at Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, as well as there's other properties that other outfitters have leased inside of Unit 10. And I wanted to, you know, you do the majority of your hunts on the private property, speaking about the, the couple of ranches that you guys have leased, correct? We do a lot of them, yes. Okay, and if you had to break it into percentages, like the amount of, you know, hunts that you've done on those properties compared to the Boquias is what, like 
90% to 10 or 95 to 5 or what would be the percentage? Probably uh, elk, uh, as an elk percentage, we yeah. don't hardly ever do a hunt on the big bow. Okay. We will. And on an we antelope just, percentage? We just don't. Antelope percentage, we hunt all over. Okay. So, I mean, we've so hunted, I've hunted the big bow. Um, I know Lee, Lee hasn't. Lee's hunted the Babbitt, and there's other places to hunt as well, too, that, you know, hold some good antelope, but... The big boat has the majority of the antelope country, you know, in unit yeah. 10. Yeah. Well, I, I think knowing Lee personally and knowing what a good guy he is, for him not to hunt on the big bow and make it kind of a practice that he is the manager as far as he's the liaison and he handles, you know, getting all of the fee collections and what have you, but then he chooses not to hunt on the big bow speaks a lot of him because... You know, I think it would be very easy for people to point fingers and say, oh, well, he's the manager. He, but I know, and he doesn't hardly ever step foot on the place to go hunting. Um, and I think that just speaks volumes for his character, um, where someone could point fingers and say that, oh, Lee's going to take advantage of it. I think that couldn't be any further from the truth. I think, I think people are misunderstanding of the context of what he does and you know, whatnot, and anyways, I mean, to be quite honest, and this may sound brash, but it gets to a point to where you become numb to all the ridiculous rhetoric that comes about of what people say or what people think about that stuff, because, you know, it's, I mean, it's, out, of your, it's, it's out of your control, and it is, it is what it is, and if it's, you know, people can think what they want to think, and just at the end of the day, it's like, uh, you know, it just—it's out of your control. You're not even freaking doing anything, so you just don't want to sleep over it. You know, move on. I mean, um, I, you know, I kind of don't even like to get into discussion of what we do or don't do because I kind of would like people to wonder because you know they obviously make up their own minds of what we do and you know and and whatnot and I, just, you know, it is what it is. But I don't. Fair enough. I probably probably catch hell from some people but I don't really care let's let's shift here for just a second and talk about some antelope and you are an antelope nut and you probably know more about antelope than anybody I know um, and you guys shot a phenomenal buck last year on the auction hunt I want to congratulate you on that uh, if if I would be able to go down through the antelope list here um, and you can just say pass or not much knowledge and just kind of brief and go over some of these units. Tell me what you know, what you think uh, about each unit. Would you mind that? No, I wouldn't mind. Okay, before we get to the antelope, I just want to ask you just a couple quick questions. In regards to unit 10, let's say that uh, we do get a little bit of moisture. Let's say that it turns into an average year. Coming off of last season, what you saw with a little bit, you know, you kind of got a glimmer of hope. You saw, you know, a few better bulls. You saw things maybe turning around a little bit in 10. For someone that draws a unit 10 archery tag, expectation-wise, and I know, you know, you have hunters that haven't hunted, haven't killed, some that have killed a bunch, but let's just throw it all together, what do you expect on a 
just a pretty average, let's just say an average, you know, good average year in Unit 10, trophy quality, expectations, you know, unit-wide, what, what type of character, you know, quality of bull, character, you know, character of bull, characterization of bull do you see? Oh, man. Gosh, dang, Jay. Uh, I mean, I just, what I, we try to hunt 350 type bulls. Unless, you know, a guy's experienced and he wants something that's better than that, you know, I would still go in it with that expectation. Not that every bull's a 350, um, but, you know, I would still go in it. I think a 340 would probably be a great archery bull um, for some guys. For some guys, it would be nothing. Um, but I, I still think that's 340 to 360 is a, is a solid number. I think, you know, there's going to be... A, a handful of bulls that probably be in the 370 plus range um, that they get killed. Um, maybe maybe one that's 400 inch or somewhere, you know, that somebody kills. But uh, I think for the most part, if you kill a 340 to 360 bull, you're going to be in the top 15 percent. You know what's okay. taken. Okay. And then I noticed that they have a late archery elk hunt in Unit 10. Um, wanted to get your thoughts as far as expectations on that hunt. Uh, obviously, if it's dry and you can sit water, there's not a lot of tag. So, you know, talk about that late archery hunt yeah, a little bit and kind of what your thoughts are. I mean, it's hit or miss. It it just it just really depends. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's after the muzzleloader hunt. That's always okay. my like. That's always like my okay. So it's really not it. it's okay. So the muzzleloader. I mean, you can kill first. a big bull. You know what I mean? Um, who was it? Uh, oh, Kevin Passmore killed a good bull on it a couple of years ago. But you're talking guys out of you know. I mean, if you got the right guy and or you're the right guy and you put a lot of time in or you know you get the right situation, but then you know you don't. You know how it is. It's it's it's, it's going to be. If you kill a freaking 330, 340 bull on that, you're freaking, you're, you're one of the would, top two or three bulls taken, you know, for sure. I mean, would you I rather some have guys, a muzzleloader hunt than the archery hunt? Ab absolutely. I'd rather have a muzzleloader hunt. Because you can shoot why, further? Yeah. So we've killed some good bulls on the muzzleloader hunt, you know. I mean, um, you know, this last year Hunter did one, and, I mean, that guy – Missed a bunch and could have killed a big bull, but there was a lot of antler breakages last year too. You know, that's another thing that we're going to factor that hopefully saves some bulls' lives. And some beams were broken off, but some some people, you know, the later you get on in the hunts, you know, the the less, you know, the more local crowds you have and the more willing to shoot lesser bulls and broken bulls becomes. So, you know, you don't always necessarily – those bulls move so much. Man, we killed a bull on one of our, our our ranches that was filmed, gosh dang it, by an outfitter or a guide. I don't know what he was doing, but he was on the Walpire Reservation on September 8th, and we killed him on the 15th, like – and I got to get exactly where the bull was from, but it had to be – he traveled like 35 miles or something. Wow. Get to us. I mean, it's just 
and you know that they move and like this year we had some a couple bulls that stayed on us that hadn't stayed on us or we hadn't seen in the past that stayed on us so it, it, it just is variable you know as far as you know where they, where they move to and you know and if if they're safe or not you know bulls that go back to the res what we find is though a lot of those bulls that muzzleloader hunt seems like a transition period you know from from the late october until the first week or two of november it seems like it's a big transition period and like those big bulls are pulled off and they're being kind of slow and you might catch a big bull that's hanging out in a meadow kind of flat where he normally isn't on the late season you know kind of being lazy a little bit but i don't know it's it's just so variable all right let's jump into antelope here and i'm going to rattle off some units and you just you can make it a three-word answer or a one-word or a paragraph. I don't care. You know, just tell me what you think. Uh, I assume one, two, three, four. You you probably don't have much input on those. Right? Uh, one, two, three, three. You need to talk to somebody else. Four is just slats and never hunted it. Okay. Five uh, A, five B. Either one of those. Good. I mean, they're good units. They produce big bucks in the past you know i i think they're going to be a little bit better this year if i had to guess because we haven't had the snowfall um you know that i think those antelope are going to be browsing a little bit more um but on so i i have not hunted those units but they okay. produced big um, antelope in the past why have i heard that antelope have. actually why have i heard that uh antelope actually grow bigger when it's a drought year because there's a study on the Arizona Antelope Foundation's website that shows uh, it, was, it was like I don't know if it was a multi-year study or a, a year-long study. I think it was a couple-year study of they had some data that showed that there was more Boone and Crockett entries, and I could be speaking out of term when it was a droughty year. Do you agree with that? You know, to be to be honest with you, um, I. I have not really even got that deep into it um, mm -hmm. to give you an educated decision on that, you know, or okay. answer to that. So, what about seven? I like seven. I think it's got a little bit too many tags. Um, I scouted it last year, and uh, I seen better antelope in unit seven. Then I did in Unit 9. Um, I've seen a couple of really good bucks in Unit 7. Um, I don't know eight. if they made it through the season. Uh, 8, I think, has got uh, another hunt or two in it. Um, it produced a really big buck a couple of years ago. Um, I still think there's, you know, I like, se personally, I like 7 and 9 better than I like 8. Um, especially with, I think there's two hunts in there this year. Um, uh, I did see a really good buck in there last year too. What about nine? I don't know if he lived. Nine, I, I really like nine. Um, I just, I couldn't turn up any, personally, I couldn't turn up any good bucks, um, to speak of in there. Shot but, crap you know, that crap haven't they? Yeah, antelope are a little bit different than everything else because they 
they get them, you know, antler growth or horn growth with them gets, they get bigger horns quicker, you know, at a younger age than, than So at, at a three, you could have a big bucket three, right? Yeah, three, four, five. I mean, you're some, some. So in other words, it's you know, not like a bull elk that you got to have, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years old. They can grow three, four, five. By five, they can be a giant, right? Yeah, they can. I mean, a lot of times by five, from everything that I've seen, they they can be popped out, you know. Um, okay. So it's, it's you talked about ten, ten. Well, no, you didn't talk about ten. I, didn't talk I want to say they had 100 tags, and now they have 85, but 85 yeah. seems like a lot. 85, Still. 10 just has a, it is, but, you know, there's a lot of bucks in there. The problem with 10 is it's just, okay, I'll tell you the, the advantage of 10. And I thought about this earlier, and then I applied my kids there. Um, the advantage of 10 is, you have the, obviously, you have the most antelope there. An antelope, we just got done talking about how antelope get to a bigger size quicker. Um, so they're able to recoup the trophy quality a little bit easier. Um, and the other advantage with 10, after scouting for one of the auction hunts last year, is, is the big bow is not open to the auction hunter until... The ranch is completely open, so a lot of these other units are really getting looked over. 18A, 19B, 19B was a big one last year. Um, so was 18A. Um, you know, nine, seven. A lot of these are really getting looked over. You know, as far and I'm talking really, really big bucks. You know, for auction type animals, they're getting they're getting scouted. And a lot of guys, you know, are, are scouting those those units, you know, for those for those bucks. Um, and I know it's uh, so it's an advantage because when the gates open in unit can, if I had the the rifle tag or the archery tag, that you can't cover that area soon enough, you know. Meaning, um, meaning you can't scout You could well. find a giant, no one else. You could find a giant, giant that doesn't get killed tag by the auction, open in there. auction tag holder. Yes. Okay. So um, in other words, that so, archery hunting 10, you, you have a really good chance to find a giant, whether you get them killed or not. Yeah, um, that's another and, story. Because a lot of those antelope live out in the wide open or in breaks. So it's at water on the big boat. So... But as far okay. as the, the the rifle hunt goes, it, you may be able to find a buck that a big buck that wasn't discovered. Not saying that every big buck out of unit ten or off the big bow gets found because it doesn't, um, even though they try or people try. So so unit ten is a good good unit. It's just it's so competitive that first morning. Um, like my guy last year, um, he you know he didn't. He killed a great buck that I had lucked out on and found that I remembered from the year before. Um, wasn't on the big bow. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I was very fortunate and blessed we both were to get that buck. Unfortunately, he had a little, little breakage on his prong, which cost him, 
you know, a couple inches, but he was by far the best buck. And we had, the good part about it is we had them all to ourselves. So for, for my guy, that's who, he wanted a great representation of the species, and he didn't want to be trampled on, you know what I mean, by five other guides and hunters, you know. Yeah. So that, that plays into it. Um, but, yeah, Unit 10 is a good unit. Um, 18A? 18A is, has some, or produces some big antelope. Um, the drawbacks is limited numbers. Access can be tricky and uh, in some areas. And uh, it just doesn't have the numbers. But it can produce big antelope. Um, 18B. 18B is, you know, most of that's on the, most of 18B is on the ORO um, antelope country. There's a couple other pieces. Um, there can be some good antelope on it too, you know, um, 80 to 85 inch type bucks, you know, every, every now and again somebody will kill, uh, I think a couple years ago, Pat Felt, this guy killed a, like a high 80s buck or something. Um, so it can, it can be a good unit. Um, it's just one of those, when there's a big buck, he just shows up and, you know, somebody kills him. It's not, it's not like a unit 10. 19A has a lot of access issues, a lot of access issues, kind of crowded, kind of picked over, shot out, big bucks that are around the public or accessible. Um, if it's a giant, he's going to get whacked because he's out in the open most of the time. 19B? 19B is probably the best antelope, or could be the best antelope unit in the state, but it has a lot of access, rural subdivisions. Um, Mike Miller hunted with us last year, killed a good buck in there, um, multiple Good bucks were taken out of there last year. Um, I think you want the muzzleloader hunt before you want the rifle hunt. Um, I put it to a guy earlier, or earlier this week, or last week, I guess. Um, with antelope, I would rather be able to shoot hunt before the rifle go, rifle hunters go if I had the muzzleloader. If there was a muzzleloader tag, I'd put it for the muzzleloader tag, and then, um, not put in for the rifle tag because if you have the right guide or if you're the right type of guy that's going on his own and scouted, you can, I'd rather be able to shoot, I feel confident in killing an antelope at 150 to 250 yards with my muzzleloader versus, you know, hoping he makes it through the season scouting for him. He's got to make it through the archery and the muzzleloader hunt, which more than likely he'll make it through the archery hunt. Chance of making through the muzzleloader hunt is kind of slim, and then it gets to the rifle hunt, and your only advantage is you can shoot further. You know, I mean, realistically, antelope aren't that wary as far as 150, 250 yards. It's, you can get there, you know, in a fairly, you know, easy fashion to kill that antelope with that sort of weapon type. Um, and I... I just had that conversation with somebody. So 19B is a it's great unit. We're worried that, you know, it maybe had too many bucks taken out of it last year. Um, there's There used to be more tags, but the Campbell's Ranch 
um, and some other ranches in there kind of are, are closed off to only, you know, only the state trust lands kind of accessible on um, this pain in the butt. Um, but it could be probably the best unit in Arizona if it was more accessible. I like talking to you and when we're talking about coyote or pronghorn, the intensity level and the excitement level in your voice goes up. I think it cracks me up. When you're talking about a freaking coyote or, or an antelope buck, it's like it's like it's well, a whole other level of To be, to be of quite crazy. honest with you, pronghorn antelope for some reason and I've made my fair share of mistakes, but the thing that I don't and my favorite species is mule deer. Like, that's my favorite species. And then I love, you know, I love thick elk. And I love, I mean, but if somebody asked, a hunter asked me this the other day. He goes, he goes, if you had to choose one, I go, I can't. Why the? I'm not, like, I'm not one. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm not, like, I'm a freaking hunter. That's what I am. I, I mean, I just, you know, and I, yeah, I don't do turkey hunting or whatever because I just don't have time to focus in on that. And the reason I like pronghorn antelope hunting, it's like sheep hunting, right, Jay? It's the one hunt as a guide or, you know, even if it was my own hunt where I can do the work beforehand, I can put in the time, put in the effort, and generally see results. Whereas hunting elk during the rut, you know as well as I do, a lot of it's variable. You know, you can scout, 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 but if you're waiting on the timing of the rut, things just have to go just right. I mean, am I wrong? As far as, like, bulls move, you yeah, know, you're right. the rut may be poor. Whereas sheep and antelope hunting, it's like I can – and coyote hunting is a lot similar. Like, I can control some of the outcome, you know, because I can – I can put in the work and the effort beforehand to know that I may not always win or I may not always, you know, my hunter may not always kill the biggest or the best or whatever, but I know I did a job well done by putting in the work, you know, whether it be speaking for my a own job well else. done, speaking what? a job well done, this is an off done. subject, but you bring up a great point that I haven't got to give you a hard time about. It's raining what pretty an good right now. Is it? Yeah. Nice. Um, what about that monster that you shot in Unit 15B, that giant Nelson I ran that uh, with horns looked like a longhorn steer, man? That thing was a giant. Man, I it was a big ram, you know. He, another year or two, as long as he didn't break, he would have been. I don't know if he would have made it that way. I still got to talk to the... The well, yeah, he's got, off. when they have pneumonia, it's like, gosh, that's, in my And he mind, had mucus in, coming from his nose, and he was coughing, you know. Yeah, so. so, I mean, like, everything that we learn as a sheep hunter and as a sheep guide, in my mind, when you're hunting these pneumonia units, kind of goes out the window, like, yeah, you'd love to say, well, he's, you know, seven, eight-year-old ram, you know, like, let's, you know, let's see if we can, you know, let him in there another year. But, I mean, when they're already, the chances of them dying are likely. Like, he, I yeah. mean, what a ram, man. That thing was was mid, kind of low to mid-70s type ram. Just an awesome, awesome ram. No, it was, man. And I'm 
I was pretty blessed. I was blessed that, you know, the other hunter, Shelvin Murphy, uh, uh, you know, kind of gave me a little bit of a tip because he'd killed his ram, and, you know, I didn't know where exactly the ram was at, but, you know, we glossed that ram up, I mean, freaking right off the bat. And, you know, when I got closer to him, I could tell he was younger, you know, um, but he was still the biggest thing I saw by by 10 inches and you know I, I just want to give Shelvin a little credit because I want to give credit where credit's due because um, I think that that was I'm very grateful of him you know doing that um, okay well, it, I mean even even though it wasn't you know he didn't like personally walk me over to the rim but he did you know mention it to me and and send me a picture um, so let I me just, ask I you a question. That. You might be well. You're not the hard, hardest head person I know because that that goes to one and the only person that I know that's the hardest headed human being on the face of the planet. That would be Mr. Dark Colburn. But you might be a close second to him. <laughs> Why? Because I wouldn't go over there and hunt. <laughs> <laughs> what about when your buddy, when your buddy Jay, draws all these maps, draws all oh, these yeah. circles and arrows and X's? I'm telling you, podcast listeners out there right now, the the the, the easiest way to keep Dark Holborn or Craig Steele out of an area that you don't want them to go is draw them a map exactly where you, right, like in your honey hole, just say, go right here, sit right here, try this out, see what's there. Last time I was there, there was a lot of stuff going on. They won't go there. Those two guys will not go to that spot if it's the last spot in the whole unit. Like, they still wouldn't go there. Just on the premise, just on the premise that, like, Jay drew a little map and put some X's, like, there's no way in this world I'm going into that area. I'm going to go completely on the different side of the unit. Well, that's 100% true. I didn't go there. <laughs> I, I got I to gotta be honest. I didn't go there. So, I mean, but I didn't go there because I didn't want to be crawling up Shelvin or any of the other hunters' butts and, and be on top of them because I knew it was behind the eight ball because the hunt was booked real late. Um, yeah. But it all worked out. I Do you have the sheep data? Like what yeah. was taken, the harvest data? Could you email yeah. it to me? Okay, sure. I haven't called and got it yet. I need to get the test results for that ram. So. Man, it's... Um, I just hope they can get this behind them. I hope those sheep can, you know, it seems like they're, some of them are being resilient in some of these units. And I just hope we can get this through the herd and, and move on and, and get it behind us. Um, but, I mean, awesome job. Again, you know, you, you booked a hunter late, didn't have as much time as you would usually like to prepare, but, um, you know, you were looking at some good rams and ended up shooting a great ram. And, um, yeah, just another feather in your cap for getting yeah, the job well done. I'm interested to see if he makes 40 inches on that left side because uh, 
Jeff said, Pevsworth said that the only other ram that they've had that's been 40 inches was the raffle ram you guys took. Is that true? Well, or did Dar's ram? Uh, well, I know that Marco Claude. I know that Claude's, but I know that Marco ram was. I think it was like 39 and four eighths or something. I don't think it quite made 40. Yeah. But, anywho, uh, yep, I love giving you, actually, I love giving you and Dar a hard time. It's kind of one of my passions in life. Um, yeah, I, I tried to get him to apply with, like, 27 points for pronghorn, and I couldn't get him to do it. But yeah. I think you guys are going somewhere or something. So, aren't you guys going well, on another hunt in Alaska um, or something? Well, I've got the um, Northwest Territories hunt in July. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He thinks his son's going to get an archery antelope tag, or probably is no dark because he knows the draws thing are as good as anybody. Yeah. So, well, buddy, uh, I've picked your brain long enough. Um, sorry for burning your brain cells, but it's always fun chatting with you. I love following along on Exclusive Pursuit and uh, Predator Exclusives. And I highly recommend anybody out there listening that's interested in doing a predator hunt of any type um, and wants to hunt with someone that's really, really into it, like not just, you know, turning on a call and sitting down, but like getting all, everything lined up in your favor and, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things like turkey hunting. There's just, there's ways to do it, and then there's, you know, the what I would say is like the funnest way, and that's to, you know, do it right. And yeah. um, I know that's how you do your predator hunts. And so anybody out there that's looking to do a predator hunt, I highly recommend getting a hold of Craig Steele, following uh, Predator Exclusives on Instagram, uh, and... Uh, come out and have a good time and, and go on with Craig and and uh, always appreciate your insight and you guys had a, another great elk season, another just great season all, all the way around, um, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it, man. Just blessed with a lot of good people. So I appreciate it, man. It is raining. It's running water. That's good. Later. Good. All right. Rolling antlers in Unit 10. All right. <laughs> I love it. Bye.